Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. You know, when the Lord told him about the promised land, he said, milk and honey. I don't even know what that means, but I like it. It just sounds good, don't it? Let me hear y'all say, milk and honey. Let me hear you say, milk and honey, baby. That's where the Lord will always take you, is to the land of milk and honey. So I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, it doesn't matter, I'm in a different city and state every week, but I always start every service with a question. Uh, it's a question you know the answer to. You knew the answer when you went to bed and when you got up this morning, but I don't know, so I just need to see. How many happy people do I have this morning? Wave your hand like your goofy cousin would if you're happy. Amen, good. Some of you aren't actually waving, so I don't know if you're not happy or you're out of the will of God. So I'll give you another run. If you're happy, wave your hand like this. Good, good. I think I got everybody then. Well, it's good to be in a place where everybody is happy. You know, Paul told Timothy, you have to stir up the gift that's within you. Amen? So the joy of the Lord is part of the gifting in our lives. You have to stir it up. Look at your neighbor and say, stir it up. Look at some, some of you didn't look at anybody. You're still looking at me in shock. Get over it. Look at somebody and tell them, say, stir it up. Stir it up. Well, that's part of why I'm here is to stir up the gift of joy in you. If I meet people and they tell me they love Jesus, but they're not quick to grin, I don't trust anything about them. Because I just believe if you have the joy of the Lord on the inside, it ought to show on the outside. Amen. So uh, as Pastor said, my name's Kim Clout. My wife Susan and I head up Kim and Susan Clout World Ministries. Uh, We've had the privilege of coming here to New Life for probably 25 years. And uh, I'm so privileged to know your pastors. They're such dear, precious. How many of you love your pastors up here? Come on. Amen. Uh, I call them Jesus class. You know, the world is looking to do things first class, some of them. Some are just looking for the cheapest way. And how many of you know there's people in the church that are looking for the cheap? Well, you know, tell them it's for the church. Maybe they'll do it for nothing. How many of you want a for nothing job? I don't. I heard a lady one time, I'll tell you all this quick story. My wife and I were in a service. Someone else was ministering. We were just there to hear. And they asked, does anybody have a testimony? This woman raised her hand. She says, I do. And so she stood up and she said, y'all know my house. It needs painting. I know that. And she said, I called a man who's a professional painter. And he came in and told me how much it was going to cost. She said, it just made me mad. I couldn't believe it. I said, get off my property. And then she said she called another man and he wanted more than the next one. And she said, it just offended me. I just thought it was crazy. She said, but then the Lord sent me a man, said he'd paint my house for nothing. He was a Christian. And she was happy about that. And I looked at my wife and I said, that sounds fraught with danger to me. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I had somebody coming to paint my house, my first question would not be, are you a Christian? My first question would be, can you paint? Because I don't want a for-nothing job, amen? I want somebody who can do what they do well. Speaking of what they do well, how many of you enjoyed that praise and worship? Amen. Come on, give them a hand. You know, every time I'm here, I brag on their singing. It just, isn't it wonderful to have people singing in church who actually can? <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Come on, how many of y'all grew up here in church? You know, it wasn't always the case. Y'all remember this? Y'all pray for me. Because I'm not a singer. And I always wanted to do, you know, what are you doing with a microphone then? Put that down and back away. These people can actually sing. When you come in here, you know, you may wonder, are the Smiths going to be here? You think the Thompsons will be there this Sunday? You know what you've never wondered? Will the praise and worship be anointed? 
That thought has never crossed your mind. Because every time you come in here, you know it will be. Don't ever take that for granted. They come in here and they're faithful and they practice. And I got to play with them today. And so I, I can tell you firsthand, their heart's in it. And that's the way it ought to be. Amen. Give them another hand. They did a good job. Amen. I want to talk about two words today. Turn me down just a little bit. Turn my mic down just a little bit. I want to talk about two words here today that I pray are central to your life. And those two words are Christianity and church. Say it. Christianity and church. Now, how many of you know those two words, as familiar as we are with those, how many of you here grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Almost everybody here. So did I. My dad was a preacher. Preached all over the world. Uh, his dad was a preacher. Preached 78 years. My dad preached 63 years. This is my 43rd year. In fact, in 2024, my family will have been in ministry continuously for 100 years. So when I tell you I grew up in church, I mean, I grew up in church. I used to hear people say, well, we were there every time when the church opened the doors. I was like, my grandfather built the church door. He built churches all over in Montana and Wyoming and North Dakota. And my dad and, and my mom preached in 115 different countries. And so when I tell you I grew up in church, that, I, I'm being sincere. However, even though my dad was a preacher, even though my grandfather was a preacher, I was rebellious. How many of you here were ever rebellious? And the rest of you are still liars. Well, we all have our own thing. You know, I'm just being straight up with you. I was rebellious, and so I didn't get born again until I was 18. But then I began to get teaching. Up to that point, you know, church was just a place where I went where they told me everything I couldn't do. Yeah. Anybody go to that church? In fact, anything that appeared to me to be fun, hell. <laughs> if it was fun, you were going to hell. You know what I mean? They'd say, were you in that movie theater? Yeah, hell. Kim, were you dancing? Sort of. Hail. You know, are you playing cards? Yes. Is it Rook? No. Hail. There's a dispensation in Leviticus for Rook, if you didn't know that. Um, so I just grew up thinking God don't want me to have any fun, and he gave me two parents to make sure of it. That's the only job I could see that they served was to keep me from having fun. But then I became, I got so desperate, I actually turned my life to the Lord. And then I began to understand what, People were excited about why the Word of God was important. I began to understand about this idea of why church was so valuable to me in Christianity. But how many of you understand those two words have not always existed? We haven't always had the word Christianity. We haven't always had the word church. So I want us to look at the origin of those two words today. And to do that, if you're going to talk about, you know, God, there's a study of God. I have a degree in theology, and that's the study of God. But how many of you know 2,000 years ago, any study of God morphed because now you've got Jesus coming onto the scene. Now you've got Christology, the study of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And how many of you know if you're going to study about God and you're going to study about Jesus, can we all agree Jesus' life was different than anyone else who's ever walked on this planet? He was unlike anyone. That's what the big deal is about Jesus. You may say, well, what was the big deal? Well, how many of you know His life was different from the beginning? I'm talking about from his conception. 
Now, no doubt there's been some teenage girls who've walked around in Alabama pregnant and said, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> well, yeah, you do. But how many of you know Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be the only person who's ever said, I don't know how this happened. Even though the angel told her that it would happen, even though we've been aware of it for 2,000 years, none of us know how that happened. How do you conceive by the Holy Spirit? So from the beginning, say from the beginning. From the beginning, his life was unlike anyone else who has ever walked the planet. His life was literally a miracle. Now, things are largely silent until he's, a, he's maybe an adolescent and, and his mom can't find him. Any moms here? How many of you have ever had to look for your kids? How many of you have ever looked so long you got worried? And then you found them and the worry went away. And then you felt homicidal. <laughs> Loved them right up until you found them, then you want to kill them. She couldn't find Jesus. Where have you been? My, your father and I have been looking. He said, where did you think I would be? I was in my father's house. I was doing my father's business. Great story. But then again, things are largely silent until he's 30 years old. When John the Baptist is baptizing and he looks up on the bank and sees Jesus coming and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And how many of you know from that moment, everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. How many of you know from that moment, everything on earth changed? Everything why? Well, you see, Jesus was different from the beginning, but how many of you know, as he appeared, his public ministry, if you will, began. How many of you know it was marked by this? He said things no one had ever said. He said things no one had ever said. Everybody in this side of the room, let me hear you all say, he said things nobody had ever said. He said things nobody had ever said. He did. He said things no one had ever said. He said radical things. He said things, quite frankly, that made church people mad. And how many of you know he wasn't surprised because he knew it was going to make them mad? That's why many times if you read in the New Testament when Jesus is teaching, he always started like this, Verily I say unto thee. How many of you know what that means is, I'm not lying. Pastor was talking about people lying. How many of you here know he's the only person? And, 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 and by the way, I had studied and preached for years. For it ever dawned on me, he just said, I'm not lying. That's the first thing he said. And I thought, why would Jesus say that? How many of you know he's the only person that ever walked the planet that didn't have to start a sentence, I'm not lying? And yet he did. How many of you here know somebody that if they say, I'm not lying, you know immediately? She's lying. He's lying. So why did he start sentences that way? I, and I asked, asked the Lord, I said, why did Jesus say, I'm not lying? And the Lord said, because he knew what he was saying was going to rattle the cages of church people. It was going to shake the very foundations of their religiosity. He knew in advance he'd take them off. And yet he never shied back, say it again, he said things nobody had ever said. He said, he said things nobody had ever said. Now you may say, well, Kim, give me an example. How many of you know Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father unless it goes through me. He said, I'm the only gate that gets you into the pen. Everybody was up in arms. People were shocked. How many of you know today people are ticked off if you say the only way to God is Jesus? They'd like you to think there's lots of ways to get there. But Jesus said, let me hear y'all say, but Jesus said, say it, but Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the only way. No man comes to the Father unless he goes through me. 
It offended people then, it offends people today. How many of you know if you get around people and you start, start talking about Jesus, lots of them say, oh yes, Jesus. You can have a talk show on TV. The women on The View could talk about Jesus. Let me hear y'all say, imagine that. Now I admit, that would be a shocking thing, but at some point they probably have, and I bet you when they did, one of them said, well, he's a great teacher. You ever notice that's what most people say? Most people, you talk about Jesus, what do you know about Jesus? Oh, he's a great teacher. You know, he, he was right up there with Buddha and Gandhi. They're the Mount Rushmore of teachers. You know, it's hard to say which one's better, but he's right there. Jesus was a great teacher. How many of you know, first of all, he was the greatest teacher? Because how many of you know he didn't teach the word? He said, I am the word. Come on, y'all. Drop the mic. That's all he had to say. I am the word. And, and it, it, people today, if, if all you do is acknowledge Jesus and his teaching ability, it's really an insult to what his life was about. Because he didn't come here just to teach. Amen. I, I was at Georgia State University. I got my undergraduate degree there. And I may have told you all this story before, but if I have, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of make it quick. Uh, Georgia State, big concrete campus in downtown Atlanta. Uh, 70, 80,000 students, classes of three, 400 people. All of the buildings on campus were skyscrapers. I mean, your parking deck was 20 stories high, where I'd go in and park every day. It was a concrete campus. However, there was one, one plaza area in the midst of all of those buildings where on Friday they would have bands play. And a friend of mine's band was playing there one day, and he said, you got to come. So I said, I'll be there. And so I sat there. How many of you have ever been in a big group of people, but you don't want to talk to anybody? You know, I'm a people person, but there's times I just, I'm happy to be in the group, just don't want to talk to anybody. So with all the, you know, uh, body language I could muster, I was sitting in the corner on a brick wall waiting for the band to start and just way over here. And I see this guy coming. Have you ever had somebody walking towards you, looking at you, and so you look away, and then he's still looking at me. And he is, why, why is he looking at me? You keep checking. Well, this guy was coming straight towards me purposely. And he got over there, and if I'd have had a, a cell phone back then, I'd have gone, hello. <laughs> it was on mute, hello. But this is, this is in the 70s, this is before cell phones, so I, I really didn't have anything. So I tried to kind of look and put my, my back to him, and he came right on up, sat next to me. I, I remember I could feel his breath on my neck. That's too close. <laughs> he said, how you doing? And I turned around as if I was surprised to see him. I said, well, well, I'm fine. He goes, I just wanted to talk to you a minute. I said, I perceived that. He said, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Ah, now the sky's parted because by now I'm a Christian. And I was like, oh. And so I turned and faced him. I said, man, that's awesome. I said, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I want to talk about it. I said, let me ask you a question before we even go. I could see in his eyes immediately he was kind of getting off, off kilter here. You know, I mean, he was thinking, he's asking me a question. This wasn't on the script. What do I do? And so I said, let me ask you, what do you think is the most important thing Jesus ever came to do? And he said to me, he was a great teacher. I said, well, he was. But I said, that isn't why Jesus said he came, to be a great teacher. I said, you get three strikes in baseball. I said, take another swing. What's the most important reason Jesus came? And I could see him, his eyes were darting all over and he was thinking and later I found out he was a Mooney. How many here y'all remember what they call Moonies? People who were, you know, proselytizing on behalf of Sun Young Moon, a Korean church leader who actually thought he was God. And they sent people into college campuses because how many of you know kids on college campuses liable to believe anything? 
And so they went to him, and, and they would try to tell you about him. But they always started, you know, uh, let's talk about Jesus. And so uh, I said, no, he didn't, he didn't come to be a teacher. I said, take another swing. Why? He said, well, he came to make the world a better place. Hard to argue with that. How many of you know if you were blind and Jesus came to town, when he left, what could you do? You could see, world's a better place. If he came to town, you've been a leper your whole life. You were unclean and had to announce that to everybody. I'm unclean. People had to do that who were lepers, had to let everybody know so they could keep their distance. If he came to town and you were healed, what's the world for you? It's a better place. Hey, if you were dead and Jesus came to town, what happened to you when he left? You're walking around. You're alive. The world's a better place. But I said, as much as he made the world a better place, that is not why Jesus said he came. I said, you got one more swing. What is it? He said, well, he helped people to be, their, be at their best. I said, boy, that was a whiff right there. You didn't even try. And he said, I said, no. And he said, well, then you tell me. I said, I thought you'd never ask. I said, in John 10 and 10, Jesus said, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And how many of you know when he said life, he said zoe, which is the life of God. You see, when Jesus came, he came to bring you what your parents could not. Your parents gave you life, but how many of you know that life they gave you includes death? Hmm. And how many of you know there's not enough anti-aging serums out there? Uh, my wife, I always give her a hard time because she doesn't like automobiles that are, you know, have a name that's a number. You know, it's a BMW 320. And she goes, what is it with men with all these numbers? She says, why don't you just tell me what it is? Give me a pretty name, but don't tell me it's an I-47650. And yet, have you noticed when they sell aging serum for women, it's regenerous with 45670 PPI or whatever. Oh, I've got to buy that. $700 a bottle. Give it to me. I need some. So Jesus didn't come, but for one reason, to give you the life your parents could not. He gave you Zoe. Let me hear y'all say the God kind of life. So uh, this man was just going to tell me that Jesus was a great teacher. He's so much more. And so he just said things nobody had ever said. But how many of you know, you, if you say things nobody ever said, how many of you know people are going to talk about you? You know, church people were talking about him. Many of them got it. Did you hear what he said? They said, they insisted, somebody stone him. He said that he's, he can forgive sin. He healed on the Sabbath. People were ticked about that. How I many of you know the one he healed wasn't? But everybody else was. And so Jesus said things nobody ever said. And if you say things nobody ever said, people will talk about you. Amen? That's right. Let's be real. Some of y'all have said stuff everybody said, and people talked about you. In fact, called you on the phone. I heard what you said. You want to say it to my face? I heard what you said. What you say is so critical. But how many of you know Jesus didn't just say things nobody ever said? How many of you know he did things no one had ever done? Let me hear y'all say, he said things nobody ever said. He said things nobody ever said. Let me hear y'all on this side of the room say, he did things nobody had ever done. Y'all going to have to pick it up over here because you're underrepresented over here. So let me hear your line. He said things nobody ever said. Now let me hear y'all. He did things no one had ever done. He did things no one had ever done. You, if you're familiar with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the Bible tells us Jesus loved them. We know that every time he was in that town, he went to their house. And we also know that Lazarus got sick and Martha recognized that his sister had called a servant and said, come here. How many married men do I have here? She gave him the look. How many of you men here are familiar with the look? Every man here knows the look. She gave him the look. She said, look at me. Look, look at me. 
My wife doesn't. Kim, what? Look at me. Why? Yeah, I can tell you're not listening. She'll send me to go get stuff. At the, you know, could you go to Walmart? I remember one time she called me back there, 11 o'clock at night. Kim, I said, what? She said, would you go to Walmart for me? I said, why? She said, well, I need something. I said, what do you need? Q-tips and cotton balls. That was it. Has there ever been a man here that's ever had to stop everything because he needed Q-tips and cotton balls? Can you agree? Henry, I told you this wouldn't happen if you'd have brought the cotton balls. You know, we're in this mess because we don't have Q-tips. But she buys them in peat moss bags, but incredibly she's empty. And so she says, would you go? And so I kind of pouted, and, and she knew this. This is how she rolls. She said, you can get them cookies you've been wanting. I said, okay. And so I went. How many of you know I was there two hours? I came back with 50 bags of stuff. All this. I said, look at this. I said, you weren't there to tell me I couldn't. And so I get all this stuff. And I bring it in, 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 and I'm showing her, and these were two for one, and you know, I've been telling you about this, I got all that, this coat, let's put the freezer stuff up first, and I'm doing all this until she just sits there and waits, and she goes, is that it? I said, yeah, and she goes. <laughs> so now it's Kim, look at me. So I know Martha must have said, look at me. I want you to go find Jesus and tell him Lazarus, the one he loves, is sick. Tell him to come quick. Lazarus is sick. Now, are you going to go? Yeah. No, what are you going to tell him? Well, I mean, no, look at me. What are you going to tell him? Now, can you imagine that servant goes and tells Jesus, Lazarus is sick. What did Jesus do? Basically nothing. He didn't come. I mean, he told him straight up he's sick. You need, Martha said, like, he looks bad. You need to come. Jesus didn't come. And can you imagine, the Bible doesn't talk about this, but can you imagine being that servant walking back? Because you know, Martha's been standing there looking. Is he back yet? She's looking through the way. Hey, have you seen him? No. And she's looking. Finally, she sees him coming down the way. He sees the blinds. He can see her eyes. He sees the look already. A lot of goes, guys know at a time like this, there's only one defense. Don't make eye contact. Just look away. He's trying to find something. And finally, she says, come here. And he goes up there and she says, did you tell him? Yes. Well, what did you tell him? Well, I mean, no, tell me. What did you tell him? Well, where's he at? Why didn't he come? I, I don't know. Did you tell him? I promise you I told him. He didn't come. In fact, he doesn't show until Lazarus has been dead four days. When Jesus comes walking back in. Martha, you know, goes out there and tells him, what's up? Didn't you get my text? I mean, I said three times, Lazarus is sick. Come quick. And Jesus basically said, well, well I'm here now. And she said, well, it's a little late. Because he's sleeping. He's dead. Jesus said, no, he's just sleeping. And she said, sleeping? She said, surely he stinketh. Have you read it in the King James? That's actually what he said. She said, surely he stinketh. And Jesus said, no, he's just sleeping. He'll rise again. She said, well, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. What did Jesus say? I am the resurrection. Man, nobody said stuff like that. And that had been shocking if that's all he did. But how many of you know that isn't all he did? He then said, roll the stone away. And here Lazarus comes walking out. So Jesus' life was marked by the fact he said things no one had ever said and then did things nobody had ever done. People heard that. People saw that. How many of you, there were some people who didn't see it or hear it. They just heard about it. 
But they were just as shocked. People were talking. And so Jesus knew everyone's going to be talking about me. And that is why if you open your Bible, I want you to look in the book of Matthew. We're going to Matthew chapter 16. And we'll begin with verse 13. They're going to put the scripture up on the screen for us where you can see it. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, he knew he could ask this because he knew people are talking. They've been talking. You go and do things nobody ever done, said things nobody ever said, people are going to talk about you. Jesus knew they would be talking, and so he asked them, who does the people say the Son of Man is? How many of you recognize this is a rhetorical question? What is a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is the question that has the answer built in to the question. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? How many of you know Jesus knew who he was? Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. How many of you know who you are? How many of you know you'll never know who you are if you don't know who he is? I grew up in the 60s and 70s. How many of you did? If you raise, raise your hand if you grew up in the 60s and 70s. In the season I grew up in, there was always people trying to take some time off to kind of try, go find themselves. I got to find myself. I need to get in touch with myself. I've got to get away. I'm trying to. I always wanted to ask them people, out of curiosity, where are you going to look first? I mean, where, where do you think you'll find yourself? Where are you going to look first? How many of you know people today aren't trying to find out who they are? People today are trying to find out what they are. Huh? I mean, how many of you know that's become a moving target? The Bible says he made them male and female. Today, I mean, that's, it's like hunting for quail. People, I don't know. I'm, I'm wearing a woman's bathing suit. I must be a woman. Let me all say goofy. It's goofy. People won't know who they are or what they are if you don't know who he is. And so Jesus asked, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now look who responds. Tempestuous Peter. Always seems to be the quick one, typically knee-jerk reaction. And he says, well, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, they know you're a little different deal. They can't quite put their finger on what it is that's so different about you. But, but they can, all they can do is just harken back to some of the patriarchs and prophets of old who did some incredible stuff. They don't really know who you are. They just know you're a little different deal. And then Jesus asked, for my money, the most important question that's ever been asked in the history of mankind. Verse 15. But what about you? Everybody look at me again. Let's let our eyes meet. But what about you? Who do you say I am? How many of you know life is full of questions? Right? I mean, we start out early and often. You see little tiny kids. What's your name, little boy? What do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you know questions continue right on? You know, when's your birthday? Uh, how about this one? You know, do you take this woman? To be your lawfully wedded wife? How many of you know the questions get deeper and deeper? <laughs> My wife likes to make points to me by asking questions. Are these your socks? <laughs> <laughs> to which I often think, if they're not, I have some questions of my own. Life's all it. Did, did you leave the light on in the kitchen on purpose? Were you through out in the garage? You know, life's full of questions. Do you know your pen? What's your password? 
Questions, questions. Have you forgot your password? Questions, questions, questions. As many questions as you've been asked. You will never be asked a question more important than the one on the screen right now. But what about you? Who do you say I am? How many of you know that if you don't have the right answer to that question, you'll never have the right answer to any question that life asks you? And how many of you know life is asking you questions right now? Life is full. How many of you here have had trouble? How many of you here have ever had hardship? How many of you here have ever faced tragedy? I mean, life has got all kinds of things that are going to come your way. I'm sorry to tell you you've got cancer. I'm sorry to tell you you've got glaucoma. I'm sorry to tell you that you, you know, you've got diabetes. I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. We just needed to call this meeting, uh, Mr. and Ms. We need to tell you, your son is failing. You're overdrawn. You're three months behind on your car payment. Life is going to send you all kinds of issues, statements, and questions. And you will never be able to respond to any of them correctly if you don't know the answer to that question. How you answer that question impacts how you respond to everything that happens in your life. But what about you? How many of you know Jesus could ask them this question because he knew, although I said things everybody could hear, I did things everybody could see, there were things he said to the disciples that only they heard it. He said things only for them. He did things only for them to see. So when he looked and said, but what about you? There's a whole lot more riding on it. He expected the people to be all over the page. But then he said, I've poured my life into you guys 24-7. So what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter says in verse 616, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah. Because you know something? We didn't talk about that at Buffalo and ball game. That wasn't something we discussed in the men's retreat. That wasn't on the syllabus. It wasn't in the workbook. We never, ever covered that. In fact, flesh and blood didn't right reveal this to you, but this was revealed to you by who? My Father, which is in heaven. You are the Christ. Point up the screen right here. Say right here, right now. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is literally the instant upon which Christianity entered into the lexicon of humanity. This is when people begin to have a reference about Jesus. It's Christianity. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're more than a teacher. You didn't just come to make the world a better place. You didn't come to help me be my best. You came that I might have Zoe, the life of God. Because you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at the next verse. Jesus said, and I'm going to tell you something, Peter. And by the way, what was the real, what was his name? Yeah, and then he called him Petra, which meant what? Rock. He says, I tell you this, upon this rock, I'm going to build my what? 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 What did he say? He said church. Point at the screen. Say right here. Right now, this is when church enters into manifestation of humanity. Incredibly, in back-to-back sentences, Christianity and church morph into existence because of the life of Jesus. 
Because of someone who said things nobody ever said and then did things nobody ever done. Today we have Christianity and church. He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. If you've studied about biblical times, how many of you know any time they built a building, they had great pomp and circumstance because the first thing they did was lay the foundation. We still do that today. And back in those days, they made a big deal about the first stone they laid of the foundation. By the way, what was that stone called? The cornerstone. They had a great ceremony when they laid the cornerstone in its place. Uh, I will tell you parenthetically, how many of you know at the end of the construction process, when they put the last stone in place, they also had a huge celebration. What was that last stone called? The capstone. So they had a big celebration when they put the cornerstone in place. They had a big celebration when they put the capstone in place. From cornerstone to capstone, they acknowledged God as the progenitor of that, of the originator of that. How many of you know, whatever you build your life on, Jesus said, I'll build my church on this rock and hell can't shake it. But how many of you know, in the same way that Jesus has built his church on a confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. How many of you know you build your life? Everybody look at me. How many of you know you build your life on confession? And how many of you know you've been confessing almost from the get-go? You may not be confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, but you're making confessions every day upon which you're building your life. Come on, y'all. I mean, your confession may be, every car I get tears up. Your confession may be, we're going under. This does it. I knew this was going to happen. What's going to break next? How many of you know if that's your confession, that's what you're building your life on? And then when the questions come, I don't love you anymore. When the statements come, I want a divorce. You have stage three cancer. You've got diabetes. You've got glaucoma. We're overdrawn. We're two months behind on the water bill. If you don't make a payment tomorrow, we're going to cut your power off. When all of that comes, if you don't have the right answer, if your confession has not been, you're the Christ, the Son, the living God, everything in your life will crumble because you don't have a foundation. Jesus said, I'm going to build my rock, my church on something that can't be shaken and something that's absolute true. Pastor made a great point. It's what Jesus said. How many, put your hand up to here like this. Everybody lean in. Some of you aren't leaning in. If you're not leaning in, you're out of the will of God. Put your hand up to your ear and lean in. I'm checking you back row people. Are y'all doing it? You ever notice back row people think they're untouchable? I'm on the back row. I don't have to do this. Yes, you do. Put your head up and lean forward and put your hand up there. My wife, whenever she says stuff to me, I've been a guitar player for 50 years. And I, I like to play loud. I almost always stand with my amplifier to my right. So as a consequence, my hearing in my right ear, about half of what it is in my left ear. And so a lot of times my wife will say stuff and I'll go, what? She goes, Kim, put your hand down. <laughs> Why are you doing that? I said, well, I want to hear you. Ah, it doesn't help. You look like an old man. <laughs> I said, well, I'm trying to hear what you said. And she said, well, that doesn't help. How many of you know it does help? <laughs> Seriously, put your hand up to your ear. How many of you know it just makes your, what? Makes your ear bigger. <laughs> it's just like a continuation of your ear. How many of you know your ears are facing forward for a reason? I'm sincere. I'm not teasing. I'm totally sincere. Your ears are facing forward for a reason. So you can hear. How many of you know if your ears were facing the other way, you wouldn't hear as well? Right? And you'd look funny. 
Nobody talk behind your back, but you look funny. I heard what you said. But I do this, and what's crazy, she don't get this, but this is a woman that if she left her glasses at home, we have to go home. I've left my glasses. We're going to have to go back to the house. She gets that. I told her, we're really old. I'm talking about really old. And we're sitting on our front porch, and we're rocking. I said, baby, every conversation we have won't be but two words. Because I'll be going, what? And she'll be going, where? <laughs> That's it. So put your hand up, dear, and lean forward. How many of you know what Jesus says is what you need to be listening to? Let me hear you all say, I heard what he said. Let me hear you say, I like what he said. How many of you know if you heard what he said, you're going to like what you said, what he said. Let me hear you all say, I believe what he said. Now say this, say what he says, that's what I say. If you've wondered, how do you change your life? How many of you know a lot of people think to change their life and make it better, they need a new husband? You ask them, are you happy? And they're like, hmm. I mean, you do the math. I'm married to her, so what do you think? And the inference is, if, my hus if I had a different husband, I'd be happy. Or others, if I had a different car, or if I had a different house, or if I had a better job, or whatever. How many of you know, that ain't how God works. He ain't going to change everything around you to make you happy. Right? I mean, admittedly, some things need to change for you to be happy. But how many of you know, it's not your husband? Because if you get a new husband, you'll complain about him like you did the other three. How many know what needs the change is? Drum roll. You. Right? How do you change you? How many know a lot of people, it never dawns on them they need to change till like December 30th? How many of y'all have seen that happen? On December 30th, somebody says something like, we're getting a treadmill. What? We're getting a treadmill, and we are getting up every morning at 5 a.m. And you and I both are walking three miles, five miles, ten miles. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I've already ordered it. UPS is delivering it tomorrow. And furthermore, no more chocolate. Whoever got in their mind that their life would be better if they just didn't eat chocolate? You know that's a trick of the devil, y'all. <laughs> No more chocolate. Now, tonight's the last supper, but starting tomorrow. You ever gone to those people's house on like January 10th or 20th? 11 o'clock in the morning, they're both still in bed. Hershey wrappers all over the floor. You're like, what's up with it? Well, I mean, like I said, where's your treadmill? Sitting over there, case of Coke sitting on it. They've already written the ad to sell it. How many of y'all ever read, read an ad for a, for a treadmill? How many of you, if you've read one, you've read them all? Because they all say exactly the same thing, like new. Hardly used. There's never been one that says, slap, worn out. If you can get it in your truck, you can have it. Because how many of you know, change from the outside won't change your life. What will change your life is what he can do on the inside. Put your hands up to your ear again and lean forward. If you hear what he said, say it. I heard what he said. Say, I believe what he said. I like what he said. What he says, that's what I say. Your life could be better in 2023 if you heard what he said, believe what he said, and then started saying what he says. If your confession was, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It would help you to deal with tragedy. 
It helped you to deal with trouble. We've all been hurt. We've all had tragedy. We've all been victims of something. And how many of you know, if you don't know the right answer to that question, you'll remain a victim. We have, we have a, a large portion of our culture today who finds their identity in being a victim. That's right. Jesus didn't come to keep you a victim. There's many people who have come to keep you a victim. They want to keep you there. But not Jesus. Why did he say he came? That you might have Zoe. How many of you know if you've got Zoe, you're not a victim? Oh, you may have been a victim, but you're not one now. How many of you know if you've got Zoe, you're a victor? Say this to me. I've been hurt. People have done me wrong. Just so I'm sure I got the right demographic. How many of you here have ever been hurt? Raise your hand if you've been hurt. Hold it up high. Don't be ashamed of the fact we've all been hurt. How many of you here have had somebody hurt you that should have been who you should have been able to trust? Maybe even trust the most. Maybe the one that hurt you the most is the one that should have loved you the most. That could be hard to come out of. That could be difficult. But how many of you know Jesus came to deliver you from that? So that you don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor. Everybody look at me. Every one of you in this room went to bed the same way last night. And you're thinking, how do you know that? Everyone in the room went to bed the same way, either thinking you're a victim or a victor. You all got up today thinking either you're a victim or you're a victor. You've sat through everything I've said this morning, interpreted it all based upon your perspective of yourself. You see and hear everything through the lens of being a victor or a victim. I don't have to know your name. I don't need to know your backstory. I don't need to read your color brochure or look at your Facebook page or go to your home page or, or read all your tweets. All I need to know is what's your answer to what about you? Who do you say I am? I know everything I need to know about you from that. Because I know you're either a victim or a victor. You know what you will never be? Both. You'll never be both. If you've been washing the blood of Jesus, you've been relieved from victim status. Don't ever pick that card up and play it again. That's dead and gone. That's dead and gone. You're now a victor. Doesn't mean you hadn't been hurt. It means now that no longer defines you. That no longer has authority over you. Your past no longer has power over your present. And what is it that keeps people from perceiving themselves the correct way. They get so wrapped up in being a victim. There's so much invested emotionally if you've been hurt. But how many of you know Jesus came to bring healing for your entire man, spirit, soul, and body? For your emotions, for your feelings, for how you perceive things. But how many of you know once he changes your heart, you're going to have to change your mind? This is why I said you can't be both. Once you've had your heart changed, you've got to change your mind. You can't claim that you're a victor and then often confess, I'm a victim. Because remember, you build your life on your confession. Jesus said, Peter, it's upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. How many of you know it's upon that confession, you're building your life? <laughs> say it again. What he says, what he says that's, what I say. that's what I say. Guard your mouth, church. Guard your mouth. We're six weeks from a new year. 
When I preached here back in January, I started with a question then. I still remember. I keep notes everywhere I go and preach. I started last, last January when I was here. I asked you all a question. I said, how many of you want tomorrow to be better than today is? How many of you want next month to be better than this month is? How many of you want next year to be better than this year is? How many of you know a resolution won't do that? Getting a new car won't change all that. What will change next month will be better than this month is when you change your mind and you say what he says. Everybody put your hand on your hip. Get kind of an indignant look. Have you ever noticed estrogen has a heads up on this? Because here's the thing. Guys can do this, and some of them look uncomfortable doing it. But ladies do this, and they cock that head. And then some of them, I can't do it. Some of them do that talk to the hand. That kind of a deal, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't want to point you out, but sister, you went straight to it. She went here and cocked that head. Yeah, like you did on the back row. That was impressive, by the way. You've done this before, haven't you? It's not your first time. Right. She's like, oh, I do it all the time. Yeah. Put your hand on your hip like this and say it. I've changed my mind. You want your life to change? You're going to have to change your mind. But how many of you know you can't change your mind until you get the answer to that question right? What about you? Who do you say I am? I used to look for life at the end of a line of cocaine. I used to look for life at the bottom of a bottle of wild turkey. I knew I needed life, but I was led to believe that's where it was at. I thought that'd make me happy. Party! How many of y'all have ever said that? The rest of y'all lying in church? (laughs) Quit being church people. How many of y'all have ever said, party! We all have. Man, I thought I was happy. I thought I was having a good time. Until I realized, in fact, I'm in bondage. I'm in bondage. I couldn't quit this if I wanted to. I was miserable. I wanted to quit, couldn't. And then I realized my life is in a pit. How many of you ran your life into a pit? I did. And then I had church people, all of them, Sherlock Holmes, you're in a pit. You're going to hell. And I was. But then one of them said something that changed my life. He said, son, your life's in a pit. And it's there because of the choices you've made. He said, but here's the deal. His love goes deeper than your pit. Man, I thought that's incredible. And his love did go deeper than my pit. And there may be somebody in this room, and you're thinking you're in the deepest pit anyone could be in. And comparatively speaking, that may be true. You may have the award of everyone in your family. Deepest pit. But I can tell you this, his love goes deeper. Because I dug a pit for years. And in my case, it wasn't just the years, it's the mileage. But his love went deeper. And at the very bottom of my life, when I was finally able to witness and give honest proof of where my life was, I'm in a pit. My life's broken and I can't fix it. He came in and did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And he'll do that for you too. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Life's full of questions. Life's always going to ask you. Life wants to know how you're going to deal with trouble. How are you going to deal when this happens? 
How are you going to deal when you hear that your kids are getting a divorce? How are you going to deal when you hear your husband wants a divorce? How are you going to deal when you hear you got cancer? How are you going to deal when you hear your daddy died? How are you going to deal when you hear that this house is sold and you can't have it? How are you going to deal with it when they tell you you're fired? How are you going to deal when they tell you that you've lost your pension? Life is full of questions. But if you can just get the answer to that one right, what about you? Who do you say I am? You'll have the right answer to every question. You'll be able to respond to tragedy and difficulty. You'll be able to overcome no matter what comes your way. You will be a victor and not a victim if you have the right answer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't assume just because you're in church today that you have the right answer. Because I went to church for 18 years, lost. Nobody looking around. But there may be somebody here this morning and you're in a pit right now. It's all you could do to get up and come here this morning. It's been hard for you to talk about it to anybody. Maybe you've kept a smile on the outside, but you are hurting inside. Maybe you drove here today thinking, man, if I don't get an answer today, what am I going to do? Well, I'm here to tell you that you have an answer. His name is Jesus. He's the answer to every question you have. He'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. What you thought was forever broken, he can restore. What you thought was forever lost, he can redeem. And here's what's cool. You don't have to fill out any forms. You don't have to stand in any lines. No representatives are going to come to your home. The, the Apostle Paul said, all you have to do is believe in your heart that he loves you. Believe in your heart he'll forgive you. And then confess it with your mouth. And you will have Zoe, the life of God. He's done everything that needed to be done. He will forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll give you a future. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and that's you, you may not know what you're going to do tomorrow. But all you have is today. You've got right now. If you're tired of running, if you'd like to exchange depression for hope, fear for joy, and if you'd like to exchange your past for a future, I want you to do something simple right where you're seated. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come to the front or stand up. I'm just going to pray with you right where you're seated. But if you're here today, and you're ready to live and not die, to be a victor and not a victim, I want you to do something simple right where you're seated. Just raise your hand where I can see it. Do it now. Do it now. I see it. You can put it down. I see it. You can put it down. I see it. You can put it down. That's three. There's four. I'm going to ask again. The night I got saved, the man had to ask three times. There's been four of you that have responded, but I'm waiting a minute because, you know, I used to think, I'll get, I'll get saved when I'm 40. In fact, I used to tell people, I'm going to party till I'm 40. I knew there was a God, but I'm going to party till I'm 40. 
And then three of my closest friends that I've been partying with, it was a snow day. We were out of school. We were riding a sled down my neighbor's front yard, down his driveway, across the street, into the neighbor's driveway, across the street, and down into their backyard. We've been doing it all day, getting high and partying. And they were talking to me all day about a party they were going to that night and wanted me to come. And I had a date. And I said, she's better looking than y'all. Oh, come go with us, man. It's going to be great. I didn't go. One of my date came home next morning, 7 in the morning. My dad came and knocked on my door. You have a phone call, son. I thought, who in the world would be calling me at 7? It was actually the girl I went out on the date with. She said, did you hear? I said, what do you mean? Hear what? All three of my friends were killed in an automobile accident in front of our high school. Lost control in the snow, got hit broadside by a tractor-trailer truck. They never lived to be 18, not a one of them. All of a sudden, I had to reassess my plans because I know but for a date, I'd have been in that car as well. Yeah, I'm going to party till I'm 40. The Bible says you don't know which way the wind blows. How are you going to plan tomorrow? You got right now. If you didn't raise your hand, if you weren't one of the four that raised your hand, but you know you should have, I just want you to consider this. You have right now. You have the promise of right now for your life to change. If you're here today and you want Jesus in your life, you'd like to give the right answer to that question, and you haven't already raised your hand, do it now. Obey God. Do it now. The Bible says when just one person says yes, every angel in heaven rejoices. We got four today. Four adults. That's awesome. To show these four how highly we esteem them, I want everyone in this room to pray this prayer out loud right now. Father, I thank you for loving me. Say it out loud. I thank you for loving me. Say it again where your ears hear your mouth say it. Thank you for loving me. In spite of what I've done, in spite of what I've said, I believe you love me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. So I don't have to. By his shed blood, I believe my sins are forgiven. And by his resurrection, I believe I have eternal life. I believe that in my heart and I'm confessing with my mouth. I'm going out different than the way I came in. I want everybody to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but I want you to stretch both hands to heaven right now. Particularly you four that raised your hand, but everybody in the room, everybody, raise your hands. What is it with you church people raise your hand? It's simply a way of acknowledging we know life don't revolve around us. That there's something greater than us and it's him. I want you to thank him right now for whoever it was that led you in that prayer. Maybe it was Pastor Allen. Maybe it was a childhood pastor. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was your, your, your mate. Whoever it was that loved you enough to tell you the truth and tell you, you don't need a program, son. You need Jesus. Thank God for them. Thank God for their boldness. Thank God that they were able to share the love of the Lord with you and your life could change. And now here's what I want you to get a vision. Who are you going to share that life with? Who are you going to tell? Who do you know in your circle of friends and loved ones that doesn't know the truth? 
Get a vision for them right now. Make this the, the season that you share Jesus with them. Father, I just thank you for all these people today who have their hands outstretched to you. I thank you that life is going to be better for them next month, next year. Father, that we're having ever-increased blessing in spite of what the world says, in spite of what the world sees. I thank you, oh God, that your arm is not short. Say that with me. His arm is not short in my life. Say it again. His arm is not short in my life. Amen. Can we give God glory for these four people that raise their hand today? That's awesome. Now here's the deal. Pastor Allen's getting ready to come up here. I'm a man of my word. I didn't have you stand up. I didn't have you tell everybody your name, but here's the deal. Before you walk out those doors, I want you to tell him I'm one of the four that got saved. And I add, I saw you raise your hand. So don't make me come back there. Because you ought to have figured out by now, I will. So before you leave, you tell him. You wonder, why have I got to tell him? Nothing is more important after you ask Jesus in your heart than telling somebody. Most important thing you can do is to tell somebody. And the best person you can tell is your pastor. Amen. Come on, brother. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.